Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. Live barely. Barely. Like, by the barely. skin of our teeth, nothing is working for us at all. Um, we've never had technical issues like we have the past couple months. No. There's Katie's something in the water, I swear. Katie's camera is frozen right now and she's just smirking at me. So that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna watch for the, the next hour. Um, but welcome Lucky back. You. Welcome back. Part two of Missing Kenley Matheson. Um, we've got lots to get through for part two, and I don't think we have a lot to chat about off the top. No. No. Uh, an update for everyone that my cat and dog have not murdered each other. Um, they're ignoring each other. So if anyone was wondering, that's where we're at with the cat and the dog. It. best we can ask for it's the best we can ask for yeah and i'm pretty sure this cat's broken because he slept in his bed all night uh and i thought cats were nocturnal so yeah uh, who knows like the first night he definitely did some exploring <clears throat> the first night he definitely did some exploring because he knocked my full-length mirror flat on his <laughs> face um, and Brandon had to anchor that to the wall because he keeps trying to go behind it because I don't have it actually mounted on the wall. It's just, it's just kind of sitting. Yeah. Uh, so he likes to go behind there. So we had to mount it to the wall. And the first night he did some exploring, but like I get up a couple times throughout the night and every single time I got up last night, that dude was in the same spot. He didn't Again, I, I don't think he hears well. So once the lights are out and his hearing's not great, he's like, oh, well, better go to sleep. Yeah, no, like he didn't get up when I got up. Nothing. So no. he is so far the chillest cat I've ever met. He's so cute. Um, oh, your picture's back. Hello. It's not really. It's nice to see your face moving. Uh, yeah, so welcome back, everyone. If you don't follow us on socials, we have Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Uh, we're the most active on Instagram, but I can admit that we're kind of not the most active anywhere right now. I downloaded Threads the other day. Oh, okay, I posted on our threads. threads account. So I guess we have Threads as well, which if you don't know, is like a kind of it's Instagram, twi- Twitter, Twitter-esque version. Uh, it's that Twinstagram. Instagram, it's Twinstagram uh, that Instagram created because a lot of people aren't using Twitter anymore for various reasons. So we have a Threads account now, but... Yeah, this summer, the last couple of months has just been like tumultuous for me. Uh, busy, but then other things going on as well in my life. So social media has taken a little bit of a back burner, I can't lie. Uh, but I'm hoping to restart that in the coming months as well. I just needed a little bit of like a breather. So we still still see episode posts and things like that. We're just like not, I can admit we're not as active on social media right now as we typically like to be. Um, but that's about it for that. If you aren't following us wherever you're listening right now, please feel free to do so. Um, you can follow us on Spotify or Apple and leave a rating and review as well, which is really helpful for the show. Uh, but that's it. That's it for the business. Yeah, I was just going to add something to that and I forgot. Oh, but okay. Well, you let us know and 
that's the main yeah. stuff. So I think we'll just hop right into it today because this is a part two episode. So if you listen to part one, um, we're talking, of course, about the disappearance of Kenley Matheson, who disappeared from Acadia University in Wolfville, Nova Scotia um, in September of 1992. If you did not listen to part one already, uh, you're going to just be very lost. So please give that a listen before you listen to today's episode. And if you haven't watched the documentary already that we're also discussing on this case, it's on Amazon Prime and it's called Missing Kenley, I believe. Uh, I posted the cover for the documentary on our Instagram today. Um, But yeah, we're kind of covering the case and this documentary all at the same time. Yeah, if I picked it purely based on movie cover, like the title cover, it's not that eye-catching or grabbing, but the series is well done. Yeah, it's very, very well done. Um, And like we said in episode one, the documentary was created over like eight years of research and filming, and so it's very in-depth, and you can really see the story progress. Um, And I also think it's really interesting to follow Kenley's family members throughout that time because you can see just how much more difficult it becomes for them over the years. And I think it's just a good example for those of us who maybe haven't been through something like that, but we enjoy consuming this kind of content to really see like the human aspect of it because I thought they did a really good job of that. I agree. Um. But essentially, when we left off, we were we were discussing some of the discrepancies, if you will, that came up in the documentary. And we were talking specifically about Kenley's two friends that he met in those first couple weeks that he was at university, which was uh, Tom Gordon and Kristen Tomlinson. And so I, I think when we left off, we were kind of talking about the whole story of they had gone to a town co- nearby called New Minus on the Wednesday that Kenley was reported missing to have some film developed, but also they got Kristen's car cleaned. And Tom Gordon, when he's asked to kind of like recount this day in the documentary, just consistently skips over the part about getting the car cleaned. And so that's kind of a and point. And he's not that- doing this from memory. He's reading from a journal and he's omitting the detail about the car wash correct so i think you could take that as like he just didn't think it was relevant to the point of the story that they were talking about it's part of your day yeah or you could take it like it's you know he's omitting information so we discussed that um and we're not done with tom and kirsten quite yet because the this this point here is, is another one of those strange things where I'm just like, it was never cleared up and it doesn't make any sense to me. Similar to this whole story of Tom and Kirsten approaching the resident Todd Barker um, and going in the room before Kareen, but absolutely nobody else can corroborate this story. So yeah. apparently... They bring this up in the documentary five months after Kenley disappears, investigators, so these are police investigators, um, say and have in their notebooks that Kirsten allegedly brought Kenley's purple L.A. Lakers hat, which he was supposed to have been wearing when Mm -hmm. he was last seen by Tom Gordon, brought it and returned it. Two. And he explained the outfit he was wearing in great detail, and that hat was a big part of it. Yeah, because he kept saying his signature cap, which was yeah. that purple L.A. Lakers hat. Which is just 
And so investigators say that Kirsten brought this hat back to them, to the Wolfville police, five months after Kenley was reported missing and told them that he had left it on Corkum's Island. So if you remember the weekend before he went missing, he had gone to Corkum's Island with Tom and Kirsten. They were hanging out at her dad's house. They were partying for the weekend. And so... The investigators, like, have this in a notebook. They have it written down that the hat was taken in as evidence and that Kirsten dropped it off. Mm-hmm. When she's asked about this in the documentary, Kirsten is like, what? I did that? And claims to, have like, have no recollection of doing this. And then kind of becomes emotional and starts crying when she realizes, like, he didn't have his hat. Like, she was like, oh, no. he didn't even have his hat. And, like starts getting emotional about that because remember she was all emotional about the backpack um yeah she's weird about his possessions yeah and so again i don't know even know if we can discuss this point any further than just saying it because it doesn't get cleared up and like and she's like well that never happened but the investigators say it happened and it's written down as evidence um i also have a hard time when an investigator says something happened not taking it at face value one, it's super random that they would enter an L.A. Lakers hat into evidence if it never happened. Agreed. Like, they wouldn't just do that. In my opinion, there's no evidence that this police department is, like, trying to cover this up. No, not at all. It, yeah, so, no, I agree. That's just a little bit strange. Um, and investigators actually do point out in the documentary, as we talked about, that Tom has a very detailed description of Kenley for just seeing him passing by. Um, and invest- at a distance. Yeah. Investigators also state in the documentary that they were not comfortable with the statements that Tom Gordon made. And Kareen, also Kenley's sister, does not believe Tom's version of events. Um, she still believes that he went missing on Sunday. Uh, because, again, he didn't show up to his 8.30 a.m. class on Monday. He didn't meet or speak with Chris, uh, Kareen, sorry, about the study session that they had for Monday night. Um, and then the other weird kind of thing about Tom Gordon's statement to police that is like sticks out to them is when they ask him what he thinks might have happened to Kenley, and his response is to check South America. Yeah, that part to me, too, is very, like, It made no sense to me. Well, and I think the idea is that it's pointing them in the direction of he just up and left. Took off. Took off. Um, When he keeps saying, like, he wasn't really the school type, so it mm -hmm. it makes sense that he would just want to disappear. And it's like, well, I get that you're not the school type, but that doesn't mean you'll just disappear. Right. Um. Kareen mentions that in the years after Kenley's disappearance, Tom Gordon kept in regular contact with her, asking about the case, what kind of information they had. Like, again, this could be uh, this guy met somebody that he became really close to in the first two weeks of school and then he disappeared. Maybe this is something that just really sticks out to him in his life. Uh, but she sort of felt like maybe it was him inserting himself in the investigation, wanting to know how much information they had, how close they were. Um, Police were also contacted by Tom in 2001 and 2002 or 2000 and 2001, somewhere around there, 
one question that he asked to the police, and this is from the investigators themselves, was, have you found any proof that Kenley is dead? Which is just a strange question. It is. Um, you know, have you found any proof he's alive? Have you found any proof, you know, like of where he might have gone uh, seem more appropriate? But again, this is just kind of like speculatory. It's, weird. it's just weird, right? It's it, it I'm, is. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. Because yes, so, that's not how you would ask that, or not how you would talk. It's just not. Yeah, to be honest, like like I said, the first episode, the entire interview to me is weird. Um, it's all just a bit strange. So that's just worth mentioning. Now, after his interviews for the documentary are like completely finished, they're in Wolfville to do the interviews because remember, he's like pointing out where he saw him on the street and things mm -hmm. like that. After Tom is like finished interviews, um, he's put under private surveillance by the like documentary crew for the rest of the time that he's in Wolfville. So he leaves town. He did not return to Wolfville, but he did spend uh, one hour in nearby Walton. Um, and he was apparently like acting off and staring out into the Minus Basin. He goes into the Walton Diner to eat, comes out of the uh, out back to the car and just like stares at the lake, goes into the convenience store and then comes back out and like sits in his car for another 20 minutes. Another time he got out and was just staring at the lake, like not smoking or doing anything. He's just standing there staring. Now again, uh, Tom went to university here. He doesn't live here anymore. He lives in the UK. Maybe he's just chilling reminiscing staring at the beautiful water and reminiscing this could be nothing um but this is what he does when he's but in the documentary it shows some of this surveillance content and even he is acting weird and again i'm still not saying he had anything to do with it i'm just saying it's just there's odd something there's something about, about it for these sure. people mm -hmm. specifically this guy that are like does he know something maybe and that's sure i don't know i don't know Numerous access to information requests have been made by Kenley's family over the years to the RCMP to release the original statements made by Tom, Kirsten, and Todd Barker, uh, but they've all been denied. All three passed RCMP-administered polygraphs. However, they were never asked by investigators in the polygraphs about Kenley's backpack or about entering his room prior to K-Reen. When Tom Gordon is asked where he was on Sunday the 20th, he said he went with friends to chapel service but says he couldn't remember anything about it. Tom could not remember uh, Kenley being around that Sunday. So he just kind of says he was at chapel service on Sunday and he doesn't remember seeing Kenley at all. Because remember, there's no sightings of him. Uh, no, there is, sorry, one sighting of him on Sunday yeah, night. from his sister. From his sister, but it sounds yeah. like maybe he didn't leave after that. But nobody so. else saw him Sunday, so. Yeah. So that's what he says he was doing. Uh, in the documentary, they mentioned like a possible love triangle between the three. Maybe, you know, Tom was vying for Kirsten and so was Kenley. Um, there's no real proof of any of that. It's just kind of a theory that's brought up. And I, I didn't mention it in the first episode, but I guess it's worth mentioning that throughout the entirety of the documentary series, the question of... Kenley's 
sexual orientation is brought up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm unsure how relevant it is. It's just worth bringing up that it's... It, I don't think that anything... Like, I don't think that he snuck off to meet up with someone in a lifestyle choice that he was keeping sheltered or to himself. I don't think that's the case, so I don't think it has much relevance at all, personally. The sexual orientation, it'll come up a little bit later as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's just brought up a lot of times throughout the documentary, and I just, uh, I, I guess it, it's relevant, but at the same time, not so, really. Like, is it? To me, it's just not really that relevant. It doesn't provide a lot to the story or like the why behind what happened or where he might have gone in my opinion um okay so we're gonna move on from tom and kirsten in 1998 kenley's mom sarah mcdonald is told by the rcmp that suspected serial killer andrew paul johnson may have been at the tomlinson residence on corkham's island the same weekend as kenley in 1992 uh this theory to me also doesn't have a lot of like legs or credence. There's just not a lot of evidence to support it. But essentially, Andrew Paul Johnson was interviewed in prison in 2016 and denied his involvement in Kenley's disappearance. Um, Andrew Paul Johnson is currently incarcerated at Matsqui Institution in British Columbia after he was arrested with items found in his car. That were basically a rape kit. He had duct tape, a mask, handcuffs, and he says he had a knife under the front seat because it's a chef. He's a chef, sorry. It's like a huge meat cleaver, but like how many chefs keep their huge meat knives under their car seat? None. Um, But this occurred in 1997. He was actually found in the back of his car in Nanaimo, B.C., uh, with a 20-year-old female who had mental disabilities. Andrew agrees that if he did not get caught at this time, it could have been, quote, worse. Uh, Andrew Paul Johnson was declared a dangerous offender in 2001. In the year 2000, the RCMP was looking for something with Kenley's DNA on it. So they they approached Sarah McDonald, his mother, for like a piece of clothing of his or something that would have his DNA because they had seized evidence from Andrew Paul Johnson's brother's apartment and they were looking to test Kenley's DNA against some of the items found in the apartment. Um, Andrew Paul Johnson is suspected of killing multiple people in the Halifax area. Um, he denies involvement in any of the murders he is suspected of. He says that the reason he's still considered a person of interest in those homicides is to keep him in prison. Like that's his opinion. Um, yeah, basically... The evidence that they potentially have is that Andrew Paul Johnson was on Corkham's Island that same weekend as Kenley. There's just no concrete evidence to show that Andrew Paul Johnson was on Corkham's Island at the same time. It's also Uh, very, very specific. Like, not impossible, but it's kind of a shot in the dark with no proof. Yeah, I agree. There's just, like, not a lot of evidence to support it. I mean, they were thinking maybe he was at camping at the Ovens Park, which is, like, kind of nearby. And Andrew Paul Johnson said that he had been to Ovens Park once before, but he doesn't remember going any, like, 
he wasn't at the Tomlinson's for dinner or anything that weekend. Um, so again, that that's just a theory that's brought up, but I just there's not a lot of evidence to support it. There was I just a, don't see how that would have organically happened. Sure. And there was a couple that was at dinner at the Tomlinson's the same weekend as Kenley was there. Their names in Tom Gordon's journal are listed as Dave and Janet. Um, so like nobody named Andrew or Paul. Now could he have changed his name? Sure. But again, there's just not really any evidence that he was yeah. there or that the two ever crossed paths. Um in my opinion. Same. Yeah. So before we talk about the last suspect and kind of the development that's actually ongoing right now, we're going to talk about some of the, I'm going to say suspected sightings of Kenley over the years. So there have been a few people that have thought maybe they have seen Kenley over the years since he disappeared. Um, again, there's no actual proof that any of these people are Kenley, um, but these are all kind of just like speculatory and like the stories that these people are telling. So Kenley's uncle was at the Halifax International Airport. Uh, this is like a couple months after he goes missing. He walks by the bar and he sees like a young guy with a baseball cap on backwards and he looked at him and they ended up kind of like making eye contact and his uncle just felt a certain way about it. So he ended up like turning around and going back because he just like had this weird feeling. Yeah. When he gets back, the guy is gone. His beer is still there with only like a mouthful of beer out of it and it's still cold. He looks around for the person that he saw um, in the bathroom and around the airport. He never finds the man. And... He thought that it could have been Kenley, which is why he turned around mm -hmm. and went back. Um, he's unable yeah. to locate him and he walks outside, couldn't see him either. It's kind of the end of this story. It sounds like Can a ghost story. Like you see someone you think you know and trying to find one person in an airport. Oh my, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so that's there that's really all there is to this story. Um I guess it's possible. Yeah, I don't. There's a couple yeah. other the there's a couple other sightings of him also in like the Halifax area, which I thought was interesting because it would seem odd to me to decide to go missing on your own accord, Let's like to local. to run away, but then like go to a major city nearby. Yeah. It would but be like I guess flying in or out of like Toronto Pearson Airport. And yeah. being like a wanted person. <laughs> but I guess Halifax, you know, if there's quite a lot more people there and stuff, it could be easier to blend in. I don't know. But um, I don't know enough about Halifax. Yeah. So uh, in August of 1993, a man named Ian Stillwell reports to police that four months previous, he had spoken to Kenley in Halifax. He said he knew Kenley from years earlier when they rode dirt bikes together while camping in the Annapolis Valley. Ian said Kenley, quote, seemed okay and wasn't acting out of the usual. Uh, Ian said he wasn't aware Kenley was missing at the time and didn't learn of the disappearance until he later saw a missing poster. And Kenley's family did camp in that area before in 1981 when he was nine years old. 
So this is another possible sighting of him in Halifax. This guy is saying that, you know, four months before he saw him. And that would have been after he went missing. I just feel like four months is so long that it could have been six months and maybe your timing's just off. Like, Sure. Yep. I don't know. That one's tough for me. I'm not discrediting it, but that one's just tough for me. It's hard to discredit any of these. It's just yeah. hard to credit them or give them a lot of credence because... Yeah, I think I'm just neutral on all these. I'm like, yeah, it's just possible. Sure. None of, none of them are really like smoking ducks, in my opinion. They're just smoking like... Smoking ducks? Is that not it? Smoking guns? Mm, I like ducks better. Well, ducks with cigarettes. I don't have time for this. Yeah. Huh. I'm just going to let that be what it is. Okay. I'm losing my mind. Maybe we'll do rubber duckies with cigarettes in their mouth for our <laughs> new merch. Smoking ducks. Yeah, smoking ducks. In, oh, you know what? I must have been, a sitting duck is what I was thinking of. I got them mixed up. I was like, how did I get there? There has to be a reason my brain went there. That's it. Get your analogy straight, lady. I can barely get my life straight, okay? Okay. In the fall of 1993, a few months after Ian Stilwell reports his sighting and around a year after Kenley went missing, uh, he is possibly seen again in Halifax again in line at the Palace nightclub. Uh, So Kenley's cousin Wendell was in college at a different school it was a Monday and a friend of his came up to him and was like, hey, I saw somebody that you know this weekend. Um, and so he tells him the story of he's standing in line at a bar called the Palace for like 15 minutes. A guy behind him started talking to him. He tells him that he's studying at um, King's Tech and the guy that he just met says, oh, you might know my cousin Wendell. Um, and this guy says, yeah, I do. Um, and this is Wendell's friend, of course. So he doesn't find out anything per- personal about this man. Um, but he did tell him that he was studying at Acadia and that he was visiting for the weekend. When this okay. friend, so this, this friend of Wendell's turns around then in line to face forward to talk to his other friend. And when he turns back, this guy is gone. He said it was like he just vanished. So that then he sees Wendell. He tells him he saw his cousin or like somebody that knew him. Tells him the story, yeah. and Wendell is like, "Huh? Hold, please. Can you describe this person?" And he says he describes Kenley to a T. Huh. The friend of Wendell's didn't get the man's name, uh, but based on the conversation and information, it sounded like Wendell. Or sorry, sorry, sounded to Wendell like this friend of his was talking to Kenley. Wendell showed him a picture yeah, of Kenley. Agree. Yeah, Wendell shows him a picture of Kenley, tells him he's missing, and the friend confirmed that that was the person he spoke yeah. to in line. So this is now a third sighting of him in Halifax, which is interesting to me because they're mm-hmm. all seeing him in the same place. And doing very normal things. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you that, like, maybe the timing is off but this story in particular is like yeah i guess he could have been talking to anybody but the fact that he goes up to this guy and and says like oh hey i saw your cousin like obviously wendell knows who his cousins are um so i don't know it's not interesting someone who already knows both parties like both cousins and is Mm -hmm. fucking with him 
Mm-hmm. This guy came out with this information out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting. And I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me is that it's three separate sightings all within the year that he went missing, all in the same city. Well, and that person, like, spoke to him. Like, up mm-hmm. close, could identify his face. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty big deal. Mind you, some people could argue he was drinking. He could have been mm-hmm. doing recreational drugs. Who knows how his memory was serving him. Eyewitness We've account all... is unreliable to begin with. Eyewitness account is unreliable, and we all know what state we're in sometimes when we're outside of a club waiting to get in. Like, who knows? But... Yeah, I just, I did find it interesting that all of the sightings are in the same place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of it for the sightings in like that first year in the Halifax area. There is one other sighting of him or potential sighting. So it's the Greenpeace story. I don't know if everyone remembers the Greenpeace story. Now, remember when Kenley went missing... I believe that I mentioned this, but in his room, there was like a magazine or something and it had a Greenpeace article missing out of the the book. So that's just kind of like a preface to the story. How do you know that's what's missing? I don't know. Like, did you find one to compare it? I'm unsure, but that's what they say. So yeah, you're Do you right. have the Who same knows? book? <laughs> Who knows? Like a magazine or something. I don't know. So this woman says a man canvassing for Greenpeace shows up at her house in 1997. Uh, He is memorable to her and she ends up inviting him in for a chat. She just like really liked his vibe, really liked his energy. She just said there was something about him and she ends up inviting him in. They they speak for about 20 minutes. Got a charisma about him. Yeah. And so this woman is later visiting a family of hers home in Cape Breton in the summer of 1998. And she sees a photo of Kenley on the wall and recognizes it as the person who had come to her home in 1997. Like she sees it and she's like, oh, I think I know that person from somewhere. He does have very distinct eyebrows. He does. Um, And so she tells her aunt that Hey, like, who is that person? And her her yeah. aunt's like, oh, that's my nephew, Kenley, like, on the other side of the family. And Sadly, the woman's he's like... missing. Well, the woman's like, I think I have met him. And so her aunt's like, are you sure? Because he's a missing person. And the woman is, like, fairly certain that this is the man who she had invited in her home. So she says she goes to the Greenpeace office locally and shows Kenley's photo to the secretary. And the secretary told the woman that she believed the man had worked for them. Uh, Like, yeah, that does look like somebody who has worked for us before, but she wasn't able to give her any more information. She didn't believe that he was still an employee, but said she would try and check their records. Um... Wolfville police was given this information and they made notes to follow up with Greenpeace. However, Wolfville police records uh, nor the RCMP files indicates that the Toronto Greenpeace office was ever called to check its payroll records. So there's just kind of like no follow up. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. So again, this is this is one that's like could have been, could have not been. It's. 
everybody in the documentary was basically saying like, yeah, Greenpeace is like something Kenley would be really into. However, he wasn't really into joining things. He wasn't a joiner. No. And also everyone around him was very important to him. He wouldn't have left without saying a thing to them. Yeah, I agree with that. Specifically, Kareen. I just don't, from everything yeah, I've heard, like it just doesn't friends. seem, it doesn't seem plausible to me Mm-mm. that he would have just like left to just live his life in the area and not told anybody. Yeah, that's the even weirder part. It's not like he cut off contact and moved overseas and changed his name. Mm-hmm. He moved like to a different province or a different city or a different, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. not far. Yeah. Yeah, and so we talked about maybe the mental health thing as well. There was a mention of perhaps bipolar by his mother and perhaps, you know, there was a mental break of some sort. But again, it's just the jury's really split on this one in terms of the people who think that Kenley just ran away and started a new life and didn't tell anyone. And then the people who are like really close to him saying like, I don't think so. Yeah, it's a very divided Mm -hmm. thought process. So this is when we are going to get to our kind of final theory of the of the day of the story. And we're going to talk about where we're at in this investigation. June of 2016, which is five years into the making of the film, two sisters came forward to a private investigator that was hired by the Matheson family. So that's Tom Martin. With what they say is a 24-year-old family secret. The witnesses were, at the time, not willing to talk to police. One of them had apparently called Crime Stoppers, who had no interest. So, I mean, the long short of this story is that uh, one of these witnesses had said they had at least two conversations in detail with her brother, and during these discussions, the brother disclosed that um, their nephew was potentially responsible for Kenley's death. Now, I say nephew because this person identified as a male at the time Kenley disappeared. Um, mm. Today, this person identifies as a female. So I will use she, her pronouns throughout the remainder of this episode. However, it's just important to note that at the time that the crime happened, potential crime or Kenley went missing, something happened to Kenley, um, this person did identify as a male. Okay. So uh, this information is given to the private investigator and... They have a difficult time getting the police to meet with them. That's really all I'm going to say about it. If you watch the documentary, you know the the whole saga. But they have a bit of a difficult time actually getting the police to meet with them. And the family is actually getting quite frustrated about this because at this point, like, it could be getting back to this person that their family members have said something. And so, like, they really... They're really wanting them to sit down with him so that he doesn't have a chance to or she doesn't have a chance to flee Flee. or potentially move the body or any number of those things. So the family is quite frustrated about how long it takes to actually get the police to take the information. Fair. 
Yeah. However, after persisting, they do get an investigator to sit down and hear the information. Um, the police speak with Tom Martin, the private investigator, who provided with them with some of the details of what they had found. The police end up interviewing um, the nephew's uncle, who denies his sister's account of, the per- of his nephew's role in Kenley's disappearance. The police are eventually able to speak with... Um, her name is Erin, and her dead name is Jason. Okay. Uh, but this is around two months after the information is actually given to the PI, and this person, Erin, denies even knowing Kenley or knowing about his disappearance and refuses to take a polygraph test. Um, now, in the documentary, it comes out that, like, their uncle is... A either like police officer or RCMP officer and advised them not to do the polygraph test. Hmm. On December 2nd, 2016, Sarah, who is Kenley and Kareen's mom, calls Kareen and reveals the name of the potential person of interest. Yeah. So which was Jason Kenny and is now Aaron. Um Jason was a male in 1992 attending Acadia University. Uh, However, when they interview Aaron, she denies knowing who Kenley was. She says she didn't even really hear about his disappearance because she lived off campus. Um, Yeah. So on December 8th, 2016, RCMP officers search a property belonging to the Kenny family because they own quite a bit of land. So... They search this property with a dog. They don't find anything. And the full private investigator report is finally released to the family. Um, Yeah. So how this kind of comes about is that these two sisters who are considered the original witnesses, they start talking on the phone someday in June of 2016 about Kenley's disappearance the sisters believed that their other sister, Suzanne, which is uh, Aaron's mom, told their brother, Randy, that she thought her son, Jason, may have been involved in Kenley's disappearance. So this would have been back in 1992 when it first occurred. Jason God, had... A- can you imagine saying that even? I know. But again, the thing is, I feel like this entire account in the documentary anyways and it could be very credible it could be true it would be random to just like come up with that 24 years later but it seems that it's like one side of the family just going at the other side of the family and it's like he said she said and like who knows if it's just family drama or if it's real that's how i felt watching this but yeah we will find out that there actually are searches that come out of this so stay tuned okay i'm tuned so Randy, at the time, then approaches Jason, who apparently says something to his uncle Randy along the lines of, they will never find him. So one of the sisters is so upset about this information when it comes about in June of 2016 that they call Crime Stoppers, who didn't take the information seriously, and this is when the sister contacts the PI. So basically it sounds like somebody is saying that Jason made a comment that could have been insinuating that he was responsible or helped dispose of Kenley or something like that. 
back in 1992, and then in 2016, it kind of comes back up, resurfaces in the family. Tell uh, me about it. And then it's, and then it's told to the private <laughs> investigator. Um, There's a lot of moving parts right now. Yeah, and the story that's kind of told by the family members who are, who are telling it is that Jason was potentially interested in a girl at Acadia and suspected another guy who would have been Kenley might be competing for her affection and Jason may have, like, done something to thwart the efforts of his competition. Weird. Okay. When Randy approaches Jason to ask about it, he never denied it. Um, He says something to, like, the vague effect of it won't be a problem or he'll never be found, as I just said. And Randy felt this implicated knowledge of something bad happening. Um, Fair. Yeah. So he said, like, there's a spot on the family property that nobody goes to. It would be easy to get to. There was also some rumors that maybe he was thrown into the chicken pen on the property. But again, like, this whole thing to me is just like a big family rumor until there's more evidence. Yeah, this is crazy. Some of the mm-hmm. things they're throwing out as options, like chickens, really? Yeah, but but then we find out later that he makes another comment to a family member about some bear caves on Melanson Mountain, which is why there is now being a search conducted on Melanson Mountain. So at first, it's like they don't know where he might be, so they're just like searching the property because there's a lot of it and there's a chicken pen and um, there's probably like sheds and little outbuildings. Correct. And stuff. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So December 14th, 2016, Sarah McDonald visits the ravine identified by Randy as a possible location for Kenley's remains. They also kind of like tour the Kenny Farm property and the chicken pit. Um, Ten months after receiving the private investigator's report of this information, the RCMP conducted their first cadaver dog search of the Kenny Farm property. Uh, the total time spent searching the seven-acre ravine, which is just the ravine area that Randy had pointed out. This is like a huge plot of land, is one hour and ten minutes, and they did not find anything. Uh, the search did not include the chicken pit area. Darn. Now, we have to remember that the police get these private investigator reports, they get the information, they conduct their interviews, and then they're going to do a search on where they think is going to be most credible or where is going to be, like, the most potential of finding something. They're not going to search this entire property without something more credible. No, that's why we have ground-penetrating radar now. Well, and they just have hearsay, right? It's just, again, it's just, like, one side of the Mm -hmm. family's board against the other, and they... The, the police are quite clear about that when they're communicating to the family that, like, this is definitely the closest we've been, but this isn't it. Like, we not yet anyways. We don't know that this like, is don't it. Don't get your hopes up quite yet. Let mm. us give you information. Yeah. Now, yes. in the last episode of the documentary, this is when they interview Aaron Smith, who was previously Jason Kenny. Ooh, okay. Um, Aaron basically is, like... My mom is out to lunch. You don't know my mom. She's out to get me. We don't get along. Like, that's why she is saying this nonsense and trying to spread these stories in my family. Um, 
She basically just says all the allegations are false. And there's really nothing, again, to back up a lot of these claims except for, again, they are going to do this search. So maybe they have found more since then. Erin reiterates in this interview that she doesn't remember Kenley Matheson from school. She doesn't remember him disappearing in 1992, which they find a bit strange because, like, obviously it would have been all over the news, all over the school, all over the radio. She says she didn't live. Yeah, but she says she didn't live on campus. She rode her bike to school every day because her parents lived in town. Um in the second or third week of school, she said she was living in New Minus with her girlfriend because she had a falling out with her mom. And she doesn't remember seeing a photo of Kenley, but she says she remembers being shown a sketch, <laughs> which is super weird. Okay. Everyone's like, but where did it come from? Yeah. I've never seen they either a, the had only Kenley there to look at or they had a photo. Right, and the only sketch that I've ever seen is the age progression sketch, which was released in, like, 2017. So that's weird. Um, Erin also talks a lot about how smart she is and how high her IQ is and how she was, like, hanging out with the intellectuals and playing Dungeons & Dragons and was in, quote, the higher IQ groups. Uh, Great. And she kept saying, like, she didn't attend any Acadia parties. Like, drugs are bad for your brain. We were invited. We were the smart kids. Um, also, whenever they show her a photo of Kenley, she just keeps saying that she that he looked he looked a lot like she did back then, which is such a weird comment, in my opinion. Um, but she's like, he looked like I did. Like, that's what I looked like when I was a boy. It's weird. It's just weird to it's, me. Yeah, it's just a weird comment. It's a weird to make. comment. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she's asked again, like, did you recognize Kenley from this photograph? No, it's just a really odd interaction. There's a lot of weird, like, long pauses. Um, yeah, she, like, claims to have a photographic memory and a 173 IQ. Uh, there's just about your IQ. There's just nothing really to back up either of these things, and yeah. apparently the chances of both of these things. So the set 173 IQ, and she also claimed to have Klinefelter syndrome. Um, both of the chances of both of these things being true are one in two billion. <laughs> yeah, and then an aunt of hers recalls like a very different Jason Kenny from 1992 than the one that Aaron is describing to us like mm. a person that was definitely attending parties they show uh Jason Kenny's like college transcript and showing he got like a lot of C's which is fine C's Been get there. De- C's get degrees but this is not the same story that he was telling to Sarah and Ron not during this interview so it seems like maybe this person just isn't super trustworthy in what they're saying. Um, there's a lot of outlandish claims, and so it's hard to kind of believe anything that they're saying. Yeah. This whole, this whole story to me is just a lot of speculation. I was going to say, it's nothing about this is set in stone, and everything about this story is like, maybe, question yeah. mark? Yeah. Now, it does say after refusing to take a polygraph for two and a half years, Aaron does take one and passes in April of 2019. This testing was arranged by her uncle, RCMP officer Mike Kenny. 
And she was asked three questions by an examiner not familiar with the case. And we aren't told what those questions are. I don't feel like her uncle should have been able to arrange that. No, especially when he was the one telling her not to do it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But a little huh. bit strange. Now, Ron, the documentary creator, also speaks with Jason's sister, who is also trans and now identifies as a male going by the name Toby May. Whoa, that's a lot going on under that roof. Yes. So Toby May, who's now a male, says that Aaron was described to her by she just continuously calls like Aaron Jason her sibling which I find mm. interesting. She said that Aaron was described to her by her sibling as a spirit that came down from the atmosphere and liked Jason's body so much that she killed Jason and murdered Jason. She said that those are the words that came out of Aaron's mouth. She also oh. said that when you ask questions to Aaron... You have to be specific in the types of questions you are asking because Aaron believes they are Aaron and doesn't believe they are Jason Kenny anymore at all. So they like disassociate themselves from that person. So when you're asking Aaron, have you, did you know Jason, uh, did you know Kenley Matheson? Do you remember him going missing? Did you, did you see this poster? Yada, yada, yada. Well, Aaron didn't. But Jason did. But did Jason. Sure. Okay. So that's that's just sort of what uh, Toby May is implying. Um, yeah. That's so weird. So how the Melanson Mountain thing comes up, because remember, like, they're searching the Kenny property and they just have this kind of offhand comment from Jason from back in 1992 about, like, you know, they're never going to find him. Melanson Mountain comes up because Toby May describes an incident when uh, he or she was 12 and Kenley was first reported missing and says that when Aaron's mother or their mother asked if Jason knew Kenley because he went to Acadia, Jason said, quote, he hit on the wrong guy's girlfriend. He's buried in a bear cave on the back mountain in Melanson hmm. so this is what sparks the tip to search Melanson Mountain for the remains of Kenley Matheson at the time of finishing the documentary the RCMP had never stepped foot on Melanson Mountain in search of Kenley's remains um, however that actually all changes in 2023 an anonymous email in 2019 regarding Kenley being in the bear caves on Melanson Mountain comes through kind of giving this Kenny theory that Jason breath of life could have potentially been involved in that he's in the bear caves on Melanson Mountain. It gives it a little bit more credence. Yeah. This is when the Globe and Mail search is conducted in May of 2023. Um, and then the RCMP become involved in June. 
So when it's announced that the cadaver dog used by the Globe and Mail possibly indicated human remains on Melanson Mountain, the RCMP get involved and Kareen says she immediately feels that that's her brother. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the immediate, like, I have a feeling. Yes. And I think that, like I said, this whole Jason Kenny story at the beginning and as you're watching the documentary, it, it really feels like this is just a lot of he said, she said, and we really don't have a lot of evidence to back this up. But I think because the RCMP and the police kind of got involved after the fact, because this was like a family just telling a private investigator and he really had to like hand over a report and then the police have to do their job properly and figure out like what in this report is credible, what is not. What now we, use? we yeah. now we have to do our own full lengthy investigation. They can't just take it at face value. And so I'm sure there's a ton of stuff we just don't know. Oh, for sure. I think there's right? a lot. Yeah. And that's why I say like as much as to me it's still a lot of just like speculation, there could be a lot of weight to this and they obviously they obviously have enough that they're willing to put the resources in to do this search. Yeah, I definitely think that this is one of those cases that should it be solved, when it's solved, that it's going to be like, we had 90% of this information all along. We just yeah. needed that 10%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that there's a lot to this already set up, ready to just be like knocked down with one piece of information. Yeah, yeah, we just need a lot of that proof, which is just the one, the thing that we don't have while we're telling the story today that we can be like, yeah, I just, I can really only tell you what I <laughs> what heard. We know. Uh, so on June 13th, 2023, RCMP officers met with the cadaver dog team and attended the site on Melanson Mountain to kind of learn more about the area that was identified by the Globe and Mail hired cadaver dog. RCMP officers noted that the area is on very steep terrain and that any search or evacuation efforts would require safety precautions. On June 16th, 2023, RCMP officers requested assistance from the Nova Scotia Medical Examiner's Office with regards to conduct conducting a search at the site on Melanson Mountain. On June 22nd, 2023, the lead investigator spoke with the property owner and obtained consent for the RCMP and the Nova Scotia Medical Examiner's Office to conduct a search of the property. And on July 14th, 2023, it was reported that the police in Nova Scotia had conducted a site visit at the location on Melanson Mountain and were joined by the Nova Scotia Medical Examiner's Office, St. Thomas University's Anthropology Department, Acadia University's Earth and Environmental Science Department, and Doug Tieft or Tieft KP9. Uh, so... That is really the information that I have uh, on this case. That's where it ends. Um, if you sorry. had to pick one of those theories in your eyes that you think is the most valid, what do you think it is? I, I want to say that I am hopeful that this Melanson Mountain theory plays out and is more credible than it felt at the beginning purely for the family's sake because I feel like they've kind of been 
jerked around a bit. Yeah, their hopes are brought yeah. up and then they're brought down. And then it's like, oh, we, we know what happened. And oh, no, that's not it. And so as much as as I was watching this documentary, I was like, this whole Jason Kenny thing is like very speculatory. This is a lot of he said, she said. Like I just mentioned, I think the RCMP getting the medical examiner's office involved, an anthropology department at a university, Katie University. Yeah, they're Earth, getting a team together. They're involving a lot of people, and that requires money and resources. And yeah. they don't do that unless they feel that there's evidence to support it being worth it. And so I want to say that this feels credible now. I hope by some fluke this is just some, like, weird mental break he's had and he's just walked off and really is in Halifax, just living his life. But I don't think that's the case because I think... I just think with the commitment his family has, there'd be more information about sightings of him. The biggest thing for me is the $4,000 in a bank account that was just never touched. But if you just walk away from everything and you don't even know who you are, you would not know, even know about that money. True. Yeah, I don't but know. But then I I'm... think with today's day and age, somebody would have found him and maybe, well, maybe not back then. I don't know if they would have had the technology to just, like, find where he came from. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, and in 2017, the RCMP released, released, sorry, an age progression sketch of what Kenley would have looked like at that date or potentially looked like around then. Um, and so I Very will make sure jolly. to, mm-hmm, I will make sure to post that on our Instagram and feel free to share it around if you yeah. are in the Nova Scotia area or otherwise. I mean, really at this point, all over Canada, knows, yeah. a- anywhere, anywhere. Um, yeah. I don't know. To answer your question, I really don't know. I'm just hopeful for the family that this this ends up being something because I think this is like the biggest lead that they've ever had, the most amount of effort the police have ever put into like a search or a theory, and I would be heartbroken for them if it ended up being just some rumor that a family made up. I don't know. Yeah, that one is just... The time and energy it's going to take those people and the devastation to the environment that they're doing there on someone's property, if it is just a hoax, like, I don't know. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many layers to this. Yeah, there, there are. Um, And and so few answers. The, the whole story of how the, like, Kenny family property and the theory about why Jason Kenny was, um suspected was just kind of random to me but now that there's kind of more information and I see how hard the RCMP are are going with this theory I want to believe that it has more credibility yeah let's Um, hope it has some legs but that is part two of missing Kenley Matheson again if you want to watch the documentary if you haven't already it's on Amazon Prime it's called missing Kenley um there's a lot more that like I didn't go over here just because it yeah. would have been hard to to hash it out, but I got all of the the main points. I was going to say that too. Like you have every main key point, but yeah, you could not do that whole documentary. It's too much. No, each episode's like an hour long, and there's five episodes, <laughs> so we'd be here Three for days. Times. Yeah, but uh, thank you guys so much again for suffering through another two parter. <sighs> 
I'm unsure why I'm I'm unable to just deliver one episode. Uh, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe, maybe next time. Not next time. <laughs> <laughs> she just can't do it, people. No, but uh, yeah, don't forget to follow us on socials. Follow where you're listening. Leave a five star rating and review if you like us. Um, Hit yeah. those stars on Spotify. You know Absolutely. the deal. Share it with your friends if you think they would like it. And we will see you again next week. And if you like this kind of episode, suggest a documentary to us. Absolutely. Always happy. We will will. discuss it. It doesn't have to be any one of us telling the story. It can even just be a discussion. You let us know. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you want us to do. Yeah, we're always happy to do that. Let us know good documentaries in general. Send us recommendations. True crime documentary homework, don't we? homework (laughs) I'm getting good at homework again guys Uh, love it yeah alright we'll see you next week bye bye I'll call you soon okay okay bye Bye. how do I stop this shit I'll stop it (laughs) okay fuck me